Hey guys, this is Doug. Thanks for listening to What's the Hazard. I want to recognize our incredibly generous sponsors, Cheyenne Wolford of Custom Concrete Specialists, John Fallowich, Fallowich Construction Services, Jim Cover, Nebraska Department of Labor On-Site Consultation Group, Danny Arroyo, WorkSafe Consulting, and Building Omaha, a collaboration between the Nebraska Electrical Contractors Association and the IBEW. Thank you, one and all. You are true believers in workplace safety and health, and I appreciate you. All right, let's get into today's episode. Um, I'm friendless today, other than Cam, who is paid to be here, but I still appreciate it. Um, We just talked about my EDC, my everyday carry. I went through the bag of goodies that I carry with me when I'm working, and I'm very interested to know what you carry, um, things that make your life easier, Uh, and I'm always looking for new devices, even after 35 years of evolving my bag. I would be interested to know what you use that makes your life easier, so uh, drop me a note on LinkedIn or under the YouTube or anything like that. Email me, Doug, at FletcherSafety.com, but I'm interested. Um... I had a good week. I hope you had a good week. Uh, I visited four client sites this week. Today's Friday, and we do mostly the outreach stuff, and we do the What's the Hazard podcast on Friday. I had a good week, a busy week. A few things came to mind during the course of this week that I thought might be interesting. So I want to talk a little bit about OSHA documentation, okay? If you're a safety person, You are overwhelmed with documentation needs. I mean, OSHA demands that we keep a lot of records that are very important. And for the most part, we keep these records in order to demonstrate to OSHA, if it ever comes into question, that we are doing our due diligence. Usually it's defensive information, right? We want to be able to show that we are doing those things that establish reasonable care on the part of an employer. So... The OSHA 300 log and those injury logs and things like that, if you are a company that's required to keep logs, I know you're aware of that stuff, and we've talked about that on many occasions. But these are things that just came up this week that I thought were interesting. I was on a job site uh, early in the week, and we were doing fall protection training. We set up calendars for most of our clients. Um, Each month there is a topic or two of emphasis that we deal with, we look at, we train, we audit whatever that case might be, or all of the above. And so we were doing fall protection, and we were going through the facility, looking at uh, harnesses, personal fall arrest systems, lanyards, retractables, just talking, educating, and inspecting. And we found a harness or two that had been damaged that wouldn't pass inspection. Um, It probably had gotten through the daily inspections by the user, but since we were looking specifically at that stuff, We found a few of the fall indicators that had been stressed on a harness. You can start to see the stitching stress on those. And we found a keeper, that little plastic piece that holds the straps in line, had been broken. And so we recommended to the employer that this particular harness be taken out of service. And so he was very agreeable. Yeah, we'll we'll get it out. He took it. He was going to we'll cut it up, get rid of it. And we were like, before you do that, make sure that you document, if you're not doing so, that on this date, as the result of an inspection, this particular piece of equipment, and they all have serial numbers, was taken out of service. And so, again, this is somewhat defensively, but if you have a fall protection program in place, you should probably document all of that information when it goes into service. When you are handing out a harness or a lanyard or something, keep track of the serial numbers. 
you know, indicate the date that it was put in service, maybe on a spreadsheet or something. But perhaps even more importantly, when you identify a deficiency when you're doing your inspections and you take something out of service, indicate that on that spreadsheet. Again, um, if it ever comes into question during an OSHA inspection or even litigation perhaps, you can demonstrate through this documentation that you're doing your due diligence, that you're being reasonable as an employer. We're making our inspections, we're identifying when things don't pass inspection, and we are taking them out of service. It can be really useful to be able to demonstrate that. So that was something that this employer was not doing, and we've added that to the system, and I think that will actually be a a useful addition to the documentation. And again, I, I get the fact that we are overwhelmed with documentation, but this is something that I think is really important. Um, Number two, powered industrial trucks. Again, this is something almost ubiquitous to all workplaces. We have powered industrial trucks. We do daily inspections of those. Um, While OSHA doesn't require that be documented, many companies keep some kind of a daily inspection log that they can check off. It's got uh, a checklist of items that maybe the manufacturer recommends that that we take a look at before we put the truck into service on that shift. And so, um, if you keep those things, great. My question is, if that inspection identifies a deficiency, so you go through that checklist and now you found, okay, the lights are not working, the horn isn't working, maybe there is a leak in the hydraulic fluid, something like that, and you're indicating that on that inspection sheet, what happens next? Does that deficiency generate a work order? Does that deficiency require that we take that vehicle out of service? Um, Is it unsafe to operate? I'm not sure I love the idea of leaving that decision up to the employees, to the operators. If they identify something in that checklist that is not passing, what do we do next? How do we do that? So are we putting, immediately submitting some type of a work order? Do we bring it to our supervisor and indicate, hey, I've got a defect on my vehicle, on my forklift? Um, it needs to go into service, or is it safe to operate? And uh, can I just put in a work order for the future and have maintenance take a look at that when they have time? I- I'm concerned by that because I think in most cases, if we are doing those daily inspections, if we are finding things, oftentimes they might receive a check mark, they go into a box or a pile, or they go back into the notebook, and nothing happens. So, again, somewhat defensively, but... I like to see some kind of paperwork generated, some kind of documentation generated as the result of finding that deficiency. Take the, take the lift out of, out of service. Schedule a work order. Um, take it to maintenance immediately or go get maintenance and let them know, whatever that is. So just keep that in mind. If we're finding something, we need to do something about it. Uh, the last one that came up was a call that I got from a client yesterday And we were talking about um, employee misconduct. You know, uh, there are a number of what are referred to as affirmative defenses that the employer can make in order to excuse themselves of a citation. Uh, When a citation is issued, as you know, the burden is on OSHA to demonstrate prima facie evidence that this citation is warranted. They have to show that there was a hazard, that they have to show that there there was a regulation that addresses that hazardous condition. They have to show employee exposure to that hazard, and they have to be able to demonstrate employer knowledge of that hazard, that it existed 
or if the employer was being reasonably diligent, that they should have identified that hazard. OSHA has to show all of those elements, make all of those elements in a legally sufficient manner in order to issue us a citation. Our affirmative defenses on our part are our burden to demonstrate. So as an employer, if I want to say that the violation was due to employee misconduct or that the violation was due to um, infeasibility, that we were, it is impossible or infeasible to comply with the regulation, or one of the others might be um, greater hazard. If by complying with the OSHA requirements, I've actually um, developed or created a greater hazard in my workplace, we have to be able to document all that stuff, and we have to be able to demonstrate that. That is our burden. So with the issue of employee misconduct, you know, an employer that has done their due diligence, an employer that has established uh, an effective work policy, something that would have actually prevented that hazard or that exposure or that incident, so I have a work policy in place. Um, I've communicated that work policy to my employees effectively, so, you know, in a language and at a level that they can understand, they understand the work policies I'm doing surveillance of my workplace, so I'm doing regular audits. I'm in my facility on a daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annual basis looking for these hazards, looking for compliance, making sure that the employees are following these work policies and rules. And then finally, when I find deficiencies, we have a discipline policy. We have an approach to enforcing those regulations, or at least our work policies, I should say. We have a a mechanism for that, some type of progressive discipline, typically verbal warning, written warning, uh, suspension, termination, that kind of thing. If I can demonstrate that, then that excuses me from a citation. If OSHA comes in and finds one of my employees engaged in a violative condition or behavior, and I can demonstrate that I've done my due diligence, that I've made all four of those elements, then I can typically be excused from citation. Um, And again, that requires documentation. It's not enough to just say, well, we have a policy, or it's not enough just to tell the compliance officer, yeah, I walk through once in a while and check, or yeah, we, we, we discipline people. If you don't have that documented, you are not going to be able to make that affirmative defense. And the same is true for infeasibility, or um, greater hazard, those things require a great deal of documentation, as well as providing alternative protections, right? I can't comply with what OSHA says because it is infeasible or creates a greater hazard, but I can do this, which we believe is equivalent in its protection of our employees. Again, those things all require a lot of documentation. So in addition to the other things that we're doing, you know, we're doing our 300 logs, we are documenting our training whenever we do training, We need to make sure that we are documenting somewhat defensively to be able to demonstrate that we are exercising reasonable care, that we're doing our due diligence, okay? So there are a lot more than just this. As you know, we are unfortunately forced into doing a lot of documentation. But these are things that came up during the course of this week for me that I thought were interesting and useful. I hope you find them interesting and useful as well. Um, If you're not doing some of these things, you might want to consider that. So, again, um, lots to document, as we all know. But I thought, you know, take a look at these things, see what you're doing now, and maybe there's an opportunity for improvement. That's it for this one. Um, 
I hope you have a great weekend and a good week next week. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, This is righteous work. So thanks, everybody, and I'll talk to you soon. Later. A Huda Media Production.